that was the initial goal was to just get started. Definitely like the idea of having a cash flow target, but it's gonna change over time. We have twins on the way now. We have a young daughter. My wife took some time off of work. So the original buy box that we built doesn't work anymore. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast. My name is still Derek Felch, and I am still one of five hosts who bring you conversations three times a week on a variety of topics around real estate, business, and personal motivation. Our goal with this podcast is to help you succeed in whatever target you're aiming at. We are each committed to finding the best and the brightest people who aren't just talking about doing big things, but are actually taking the steps to achieve their dreams and wanting to help others along the way. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Aaron Amin. Aaron is a hybrid real estate professional. We talk about what that means in this podcast. He and his wife have acquired eight rental properties across three states in just six years, all while starting a family. He's also the voice behind the hybrid real estate professional newsletter, which offers insights from his expansive portfolio. I really hope you enjoy our chat and you find value in it. And if you do, I would love it if you remember to hit that like button or subscribe or leave a review. And with that, let's talk to Aaron. All right. Well, welcome, Aaron. I appreciate you coming back to, uh, to chat with me. So, uh, I've read a little bit about you, but but why don't you tell us what, what you feel is important to know about you? Sure. Thanks for having me. So yeah, my name is Aaron Amin. I'm what I like to call a hybrid real estate professional. Over the past six years, my wife and I have built a portfolio of eight cash flowing rental properties across three states, Washington, Nevada, and Iowa. We did all that while holding down demanding day jobs and starting a family. We have one 21-month-old daughter, and we have twins on the way. I write a weekly newsletter called The Hybrid Real Estate Professional, where I share takeaways, tips, and strategies that we use to build that portfolio. I also recently launched a one-on-one coaching accelerator for investors looking to land their next rental property. I plan to launch an intimate group coaching program in the next several months as well, the focus being how you can build your portfolio without compromising your day job or your family life. That's cool. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. What, what is a hybrid real estate professional? What do you mean when you say that? Sure. So the concept of a hybrid professional was coined and researched by a woman named Dr. Sarah Beth Burke. The idea is essentially that most people in the modern workforce hold more than one professional identity. They have usually a day job. They might have something they're passionate about on the side. They might have another income stream, or in our case, might be interested in rental uh, real estate investing. So essentially the concept is instead of siloing all those identities and flipping a switch on when you go to work for your day job off, you know, when you go home on for your side hustle, it's embracing the fact that you have all those identities and trying to find ways to operate at the intersection. So finding skills that can activate all those identities at once 
And not only that, but sharing openly about what you do. So for me, what that means in my day job, I work as a business manager at a management consulting firm. I share openly about the experiences I had building and scaling a real estate portfolio as a lot of those skills actually apply and, and make me better at my day job. So it's really just about embracing all the different identities you have in your life, sharing them openly and finding ways to activate those skill sets. So are, are you someone that, are you building a re real estate portfolio to replace your income at your job or you see real estate as another component to your job and your life? Am I, am I yes. tracking with you a little bit there? You are, you are. I view every income stream and every part of my identity as essentially a portfolio of assets. When I say assets, uh, I view my ability to generate a W-2 salary as an asset. That is something I'm a, a bit younger. I'm in my 30s. So I still have many, many years that I can generate a salary. Ideally, I can grow that salary and grow my skill set over time. You know, that's something that I can then use to fuel my real estate portfolio. Uh, I also am writing and getting into building a coaching business. That's another asset. So real estate produces income. A job produces income. Coaching produces income. I view it as a bucket of investments that I've made in myself. Uh, and yes, at, at some point it's possible I could replace or, or at least greatly supplement my W-2 income, but it's not my current mission to, to leave my job. As with any real estate investor though, I'm sure we all love having options. Right, right. So tell me, uh, I'm curious how, how you got started in real estate and really curious how you have properties in both Nevada and Iowa, which seem like, I'm familiar with both states, seem like slightly different markets. So how, how did that all happen? <laughs> sure, sure. So I spent the first 10 years of my professional career in the concerts industry. I worked in a booking office for the largest concert promoter in the world, a company called Live Nation. Most people who have been to a concert have probably seen that name uh, on or near their tickets. It was an exciting but extremely demanding line of work. I worked Monday through Friday during normal office hours, and I would be out at three to four shows a week on top of that. Sometimes I'd be out five nights a week. I had very little sleep, drank a lot, stressed a lot. The roles I had were also very underpaid for the amount of work I was putting in. So I started building a bit of resentment towards my, my career path. It wasn't going as fast as I wanted, and I was kind of working myself into um, a very bad state. I moved from the Seattle area to Las Vegas in 2015 to help start a new office for Live Nation. I'm sure you can see where this is heading. <laughs> By 2019, I had gained 30 pounds and I was drinking like a fish. I felt drained and defeated, and I wanted to numb the pain any way I could. I ended up doing a short stint in rehab and put a hard stop on the downward cycle I was in before it got the best of me. Thankfully, I didn't lose my job or physically hurt anyone, but I'm sure that's where it was headed if I kept going on that track. I say all this because I took my turnaround very seriously. I stopped drinking for good, and I started investing in my mental and physical health. All of a sudden, I unlocked a ton of new energy, and I needed somewhere to direct it. Enter real estate. So my wife and I had gotten married the year before I got sober, and we, wanted, we knew we wanted to start a family sooner than later. I made it my mission to find a way to break out of that cycle, 
And we were lucky enough to have saved enough money to buy our first rental property. So two months out of rehab, I channeled all my misdirected energy in exactly two directions. One, my recovery, and two, real estate. We ended up buying our first rental property in July 2019 in Las Vegas, which is where we lived at the time. And by January 2020, we had bought our second and third there as well. To answer your question, uh, you know, the, the the odyssey of how we ended up investing in Iowa. So actually, after we moved out of Las Vegas in uh, 2020, the concerts industry came to an abrupt screeching halt uh, when, when COVID hit. And we were forced to move out of Las Vegas to find a new line of work. So I left the concerts industry, moved back to Seattle, where I originally grew up. That's where most of my professional network was. And, uh, and that's when I started working for the company I, I work at now uh, in the consulting industry. So I completely switched industries and we moved back to Washington. While we were in Washington, we bought two properties up there, one duplex and one we bought as a primary out in central Washington. So not in the Seattle area, which is extremely expensive, but about two hours east of there in a little city called Wenatchee. We lived there for the last three years. And um, so we actually bought those. We had an arrangement with my parents. Uh, we co-managed them and we split the cash flow. And, um, and you know, they, they put in a lot of money to seed, seed those investments. Um, but we bought those two properties in Washington. While we were there, we decided we wanted to try uh, long distance remote real estate investing. So this was the first time where we just studied pretty strictly academically. Like we looked at a number of markets across the Midwest and the South. And we decided we landed on an area called the Quad Cities in Iowa. It's right where Iowa and Illinois uh, border is split by the Mississippi River. It's just a nice, stable, standard, run-of-the-mill Midwest town. They've got some blue-collar jobs, some distribution centers, and um, you know the, the very favorable price-to-rent ratios. So, if, you know, for those who don't know what that is, it just means you can you can command a pretty high rent compared to the price, the purchase price of the properties. So we ended up buying three properties out in the Quad Cities area in Iowa, all in 2022. And that brings us to our uh, eight, eight property portfolios. So we actually have three in Las Vegas, two in Washington, and three in Iowa as, as we sit here now. Oh, are they all single family properties? Is that what you mainly have purchased? Or are they multi Yeah, they are all single family, long-term buy and hold. One of them in Washington has uh, two, it, it's technically a duplex, but they're two separate structures that are both three bed, two bath, uh, on the same same lot. So what what would you tell people? I mean, I, I know there's books written and a lot of information, but what if you're wanting to invest out of state? What what criteria would you tell people to do use or look out for? Or I mean, I guess how do you pick a market? What 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 was some of your thought process? Because I can tell you're a thinker in what you do. So so help yeah, me understand no. what you would do. So it took quite a bit of courage internally for us to finally pull the trigger. Like you said, I have kind of an analytical mind by nature. And so it was really uncomfortable, the idea of buying a physical piece of property and a structure in a city that we've never been to, because we had never visited the Quad Cities. My wife grew up in the Chicago area, which is about three hours away. 
but none of we had never set foot in there. We didn't know a lot about the the area. And that wasn't the only market we researched. What we were looking for, and let me just I guess set the context. This was around November 2021. So the real estate market had run up like crazy for the previous 24 months. Um, so values in any of the major, more popular markets were just completely out of reach at that point. Even places like Vegas, where we already own property, the run-up was just insane. So we thought, you know, we we had built a decent portfolio up until that point. We were at you know five five houses total. They were all cash flowing, but we knew we wanted to continue to invest. So we were faced with the same predicament a lot of folks are in now, which is where can I afford to invest? So you know, the, I mentioned earlier that price to rent ratio. That's a big one if, if affordability is your biggest concern. Um, you know, for us, coming up with a 25% down payment, which is what you typically need on an investment property, was completely out of reach in places where the average single family home was $400,000. So we had to find markets where you could still find single family homes that could command a decent rent for um, you know that 100 to 150K range, which living most of my life on the West Coast, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know there were places <laughs> where you could still buy a, a house for a hundred thousand dollars. But yep. alas, you know, there were there were several markets. So some things we looked for, you know, just general population statistics. Is the population going up? Is it going down? Are there major employers based there? Are there any corporate offices? Um, even things like are there are there any major league sports teams? There's typical there can be signs of, you know, when a city there's outside investment pouring into a city. Um, obviously, the markets where there's all of those things at once are the ones that are very expensive. So Quad Cities to us felt like somewhere like John Deere headquarters was there. There are a couple ammunition manufacturers there. There are some data warehouses there. Amazon just opened a, a data center recently. So there are a few indicators that there's still inflowing you know, population. And then... Um, we did a lot of just kind of looking around and we built a buy box of, you know, here's the, here's the kind of price point we can afford. Here's the type of property we're looking for. Here's approximately what we want to make in cash flow, And, um, and that just checked all the boxes. So these are, you know, it's hard, hard to explain in a five minute answer, but these are things that I dive really deep into and in, in the newsletter I write and, and a lot of the stuff I put out too. How um, and we we chatted about this a little bit before we started recording, but how how as someone that's analytical, do you ever struggle with overanalyzing or or that analysis paralysis? And if so, how how do you get past that? And if not, what's your secret? So, <laughs> <laughs> I think analysis paralysis is is my middle name. I've I've always been very very plagued by that. With that said, of course, I've, I've found ways to push past that and take action. And I think, you know, to some extent, it it just boils down to trusting yourself. You can analyze deals all day, every day, which at some point I do recommend doing a lot of deal analysis. Don't just go for the first thing that, that fits your box. But um, you have to trust your processes, right? And so when we bought our first rental back in July of 2019, I didn't really know how to analyze the deal. I fell back on a lot of the 
the information. So my parents invested in, in real estate for the past 20 years. I leaned very heavily on them at the beginning. And I, I did a lot of my gut checking and um, information finding just through their experience. It wasn't until a couple of years later, after we already had a few properties that I really actually learned the academic side of how to analyze deals, research markets, build teams, especially remotely. Um, so I think, you know, there, there's an element of if you're in real estate investing, you know that there are risks you're going to have to take. It's just the nature of the game. And the best thing you can do is put in the due diligence. Don't shortcut. You know, if you're building a team out of state, do thorough interviews, do multiple rounds of interviews, interview multiple agents, multiple property managers, find the right lender, do the research such that you don't feel like you've left any stones un unturned. And once you do that, you'll start to feel confident in the people that you've assembled around you. And, you know, the other big piece I would say is if you catch yourself trying to bend a deal analysis to make it work, that's a, that's a big red flag in your own behavior, right? Like you, you don't want to try and stretch a deal to make it work just because you want another deal, right? You have to have a bit of patience and make sure that you're only putting offers in on properties that actually have the potential to work out the way you want to. So bit of a long-winded answer, but I think, you know, once, once you put in the reps and you, and you build the system and the team, you really just got to trust yourself uh, or else you're going to, you're going to spin your wheels forever. Can't relate at all to trying to make numbers work to fit a deal. So we'll move <laughs> past that one. Uh, let me, I'm just curious because this is something I've, I've been trying to, I've had a couple younger folks that want to get into investing and we we've chatted a bit, but do you feel like you purchased your properties with a with a long-term plan or strategy, meaning like, hey, we're gonna buy X number a year, or we wanna get to this number of properties or or rent or cash flow? Like, or did you kind of just say, well, we wanna purchase some and as you said, here's our buy box or how's that process been for you? You know, it's a great question because it's actually changed a bit throughout the years. At the very beginning, I knew I wanted to start. That was the goal was to start because I felt in my 20s, you know, we, we were 27 when we bought our first property. I felt that if we were able to start buying any number of properties in our 20s and our general plan was long-term buy and hold, we would be setting ourselves up extremely well for the future, even if we did nothing other than hold them and pay them off. Just mathematically, you know, on a 30-year fixed loan, especially at the lower interest rates, um, if we bought it, a property with even a little bit of cash flow, we were just, you know, mathematically, any way you model that out, it it works. So that was the initial goal was to just get started. Um, definitely like the idea of having a cash flow target, but it's going to change over time. And that's, you know, so I, I mentioned at the top of the show that we have twins on the way now. We have a young daughter. None of these were variables were really in place when we started. And now that we're having twins, like our our overall financial situation has changed. My wife took some time off of work to raise our first our first daughter and now she's gonna you know take a little longer of a break. And that's totally fine. That's actually what our real estate has enabled us to do is give us the cushion to to allow for that. But as a result, we're not socking away you know money for more and more down payments. 
So the original buy box that we built when we started investing in Iowa doesn't work anymore because that was all predicated on the idea that we could save, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year aggressively save right. when we were both right. working to fund new down payments. So I've done it kind of multiple ways. And actually one of the tools that I'm building for my accelerator is a calculator that factors in having kids because I feel like that was a big blind spot when we were building our plan was that when if you're trying to say, hey, here's how much income I make, here, here's how much I spend, and you want to model out a plan for five years, oh, yeah, I want to buy three properties a year for five years. Well, if you have a kid, <laughs> your expenses yep. are going to go up quite a bit and yep. um, and your income might go down. So I've, I've been working real hard to build a financial model that actually factors yeah. that in so you can, uh, you know, kind of roll with roll with the punches. That's fascinating. So tell me a little more about what this accelerator program, what is, what's it going to look like? What's your, what, what's your, your, your plan for that, your strategy for that? Sure. So I'm kind of building it as I go, as yep. many programs are. Uh, but my first idea is I believe very strongly in the power of going, you know, I think the four unit, four houses uh, sweet spot is where you really do start to see long-term kind of life-changing differences. So, you know, for me, if we had stopped after we bought our Vegas properties, um, that's where we got to four and done nothing else, I think we would have been totally fine for the for the rest of our lives. And there was something that we kind of had to prove to ourselves. You know, we self-managed all those properties. We actually still self-manage our Vegas properties. Uh, There's something we had to prove to ourselves that we could handle it. Not only, you know, figure out how to finance, but um, self-manage put systems in place and still be able to manage our, our family life and our, our day job. So there's kind of the standard straight ahead components of how to scale a portfolio. So the financing, the building a team, building systems, but then a considerable part of what I want to focus on is, is how to, you know, leverage automations. There's a lot of free software that you can use for self-management. Uh, team of virtual assistants that are very low cost, very high leverage um, that I, you know you can build as part of your self management team, and um, you know how how to kind of build these systems so that they still allow you to perform well in your day job, and still allow you to spend as much time as you want with your family. That's really hard to pull off. It's kind of a half time management and uh, half half real estate. You know, of course, you can scale. You can scale quickly if you start dedicating 30, 40 hours a week to real estate, but most people in my hybrid professional network don't have that much time to spare. And a lot of people don't have that much you know, money to sink in to constantly fund 25% down payments year after year. I'm curious, why, why four properties? <clears throat> when you mentioned that you think if, if you can get to four, what, what is it about that number to you that feels like... That's the that's the sweet spot. Yeah. So I mean, I, I obviously it depends what four properties, right? If you buy four properties that are all at negative cash flow and you're <laughs> and you're feeding two thousand dollars a month into them, then maybe that that's a path to <laughs> despair. Okay. But that um, makes sense. Yeah. I, I think typically if if you can buy on thirty year fixed rate debt uh, cash flowing properties, even if they're in a market with modest appreciation. I should qualify. A lot of this is, is based on people that are kind of closer to my age range when I started, like late 20s, early 30s. 
you're literally setting yourself up exactly for retirement age for those to be paid off, assuming you don't pay anything extra into them. Um, so, I mean, there's there's that math, right? If you're in your mid-30s, um, it'll hit right around your traditional retirement age. Second is you have um, you have the cash flow from each one kind of pooling together. It helps uh, offset some of the risk if something goes wrong at one of the properties. Um, it offsets some of the vacancy risk. You know, if you have one property and it's vacant for two months, that can sting really bad. It still will sting really bad even if you have four properties, but at least you may have rent coming in from two or three of the others. Um, the same holds true for covering some of the larger you know, capital expenses. Uh, and then also you can have some of the options like 1031 exchange. Uh, if one or two of the properties have accumulated enough equity and you want to parlay that into a, a larger, maybe a, a multifamily property or a, a more expensive house, you can just over a long time horizon, you have enough options to to either scale that or or move it into more valuable properties over time or pay it off. There's just, there's so many things you can do. Um, obviously those same things apply if you have 20 properties, but I think once you get to that, that four number, you've just, you've, you've created enough options for yourself that, that you should be able to do just about anything you would want to do with real estate. That makes sense. I, I hadn't really thought about like that. I think one thing, you know, I talked to someone who this last week, who's 30, super smart, uh, very much a thinker and, and, but I could sense like that may seem, and this isn't anything about him, but it, it could seem slow to him. You know, I think sometimes when you're younger, you don't, it's harder to think long-term. Like that's a very, not necessarily safe isn't the right, but I mean, that's a good steady way to build wealth and not put yourself in a high amount of jeopardy and, and you can weather storms and add kids and other variables into that. So that's really good. Um, what's next for you? What are you working on now besides the group coaching, but like, what do you see in the next few years? What, what's your targets you're going after for business, real estate, those types of things. Yeah. I, I appreciate this question now in particular, because so much has changed in the last few months. It was only three months ago. We found out that we were having twins. And as you can imagine, my head has been uh, spinning in quite a few directions, trying to figure out what life's going to look like on the other side of that. And so, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, our, our plan had, has changed quite a bit. We, there was a time not too long ago where we thought we could continue to buy and scale single-family properties in Iowa and just keep running that same playbook uh, over and over again. But our income, our day-to-day -day job income has changed quite a bit and our expenses have gone up quite a bit. So this is where I'm trying to figure out more creative ways to continue to grow. I don't want to grow just for the sake of growth. So that's one thing I've, I've decided, right? I, I'm not in it for the vanity of saying, hey, I, you know, I have eight properties. I really want to be at 10. Yes, I want to continue to grow, but I don't want to, I don't want to force a situation and end up in jeopardy because I over leverage myself just to achieve a target. So partnerships is one thing I've started to explore. I think I have a certain type of expertise in how to kind of build the back end, build the team, build the the back end systems to support rentals. So that's something I would I would look to potentially bring to a partnership um, or or source and find deals where I can maybe raise some outside money. 
So that's one area I've been thinking about quite a bit. Uh, I did invest in a my first passive LP position into a syndication deal earlier this year um, because those are strictly passive. I will be looking at more of those, uh, particularly in the next couple of years. I think those are, they are full of pros and cons. Many people feel strongly against them. Many people only invest in passive syndications, but I do think there's there's some viability there for, for my particular goals. Uh, and then, you know, the coaching program is something that I can build without having to put $25,000, dollars $50,000 down at once. Uh, and it's something I'm very passionate about. I really do want to help the next generation of investors, particularly people who are in that like late 20s, early 30s, want to start a family, want to keep their career. It's a lot to juggle. There's a lot of things I wish I knew that I feel like I know now. And I really want to have the opportunity to share that with folks so they can they can achieve success across all the domains of their life. So that's something I plan to heavily invest in. It's interesting. So tell me about, you had mentioned earlier automation with VAs. So I'm, do you use VAs currently in your business? I do. Okay. I do. Can you Actually, kind of help me understand what, how you use them in, in your rental business and, and how you found value in that? Absolutely. So first of all, most VA companies at this point allow fractional use. So I think one of the biggest fears, there's a few fears people have when, they're, when they think about VAs. Number one, which is very valid, is trust. Uh, and hand in hand with that is security. So anytime somebody's handling personal data or information about your portfolio, potentially banking info, those two are, are critical to address and overcome. And I know that that is not easy to do. I'm thankful that I had a warm intro to a company that uh, I've been working with now for about eight months. Um, they're called Excelstone, A-C-C-E-L-S-T-O-N-E. -E. Uh, and they do a totally fractional system where you can, if you only need them for 30 minutes a week, they'll be there for 30 minutes a week. There is no minimum requirement. There's no, you know, hey, you, you're, reserve this person for 10 hours a week. Now you got to figure out how to babysit them and take care of them. They're, they actually do a lot of that kind of management and delegation on their end. Your job is simply to produce the tasks that are the pain points for you. So emphasis on repeatable and um, you know uh, something that could almost be aut automated, right? If an automation doesn't exist yet. Um, so anything I do on a regular basis. So bookkeeping is probably one of the biggest ones. Uh, I use a program called Stessa, which is like a, a bookkeeping software that's built strictly for rental properties. And it's not a ton of work. It's probably 30 minutes a week, maybe a, you know an hour at the end of the month to audit all my expenses. Um, but I have a workflow with them where anytime I get a bill or a receipt, I can just forward it to the VA. Pretty much don't have to explain anything or give any context. They'll file it in my Dropbox folder. They'll attach it in Stessa. They'll add the description and code it accordingly. That doesn't sound like a lot of work uh, and it's not really, but over eight properties over a long, over a year, you know, it, it's probably 50 hours, um, could be, especially around tax time. And so, you know, being able to carve that out and pay only 
eight bucks an hour um, and have it on that fractional arrangement. Like that's that's one use case. They also help with lease and lease renewals, um, researching if, if we need a, a repair, they, they build out vendor lists, they can make phone calls, a lot of stuff where again, I'm, during the day I have a day job, I can't necessarily, if something goes wrong, go price out bids from different plumbers um, on, on a project. So that's something they can help coordinate. So just all these little micro activities that add up to a lot of time over the course of a year. These are things they can help with and, and the cost is pretty negligible compared to what I'm able to get back to work on other things that are more more valuable to me. That's interesting because I, yeah, I know I'm I'm someone that runs around saying I need help, but I, I, it's sometimes difficult for me to quantify what I need them to do. And I think that's the intimidating thing about VAs. And I know a lot of people use them and I know I, I certainly have a need for one, but it's like, yeah, just trying to figure out and I think the idea of training and all that is intimidating too at times. So that was my biggest barrier was, you know, Hey, I, I know there's a lot of stuff that I need help with, but the idea of sitting down and writing out instructions and taking the time to punch all that up was like enough that it took me several months to actually make the phone call. But what I realized that this company, and I'm sure others do something similar is that the, I had a call directly with the founder who, who I now have a great relationship with. He's, he told me, one of the first things he told me was like, don't spend a ton of time writing out some big process document. Let us do that for you. Record some Loom videos. Literally just hit record while you're doing whatever you normally do that's repeatable and send us a video and we'll create the, we'll create the process document and give it back to you so that you now have your process documented and we know how to do it. So that was a big relief too, that I didn't have to spend a ton of time learning how to delegate and write out step-by-step step every last thing I was doing, I could just freeform kind of go about my day and they would help turn it into a, a system. So these are the things over time that, that have made a huge difference and, and got a lot of my time back in my hands. That's good. So, so tell me um, one thing that annoys me about podcasts, particularly real estate podcasts is people come on and it sounds like everything just functions so simple and easy and well, what, what mistakes have you made? What what have been some challenges you've had since starting real estate? I will tell you the biggest challenge I had, and I'm glad we're saving us a little bit for the end. So when we went into Iowa, it was our first long distance, you know, real estate market. Like I said, we did all the research. We'd like to think we did all the correct due diligence, but we actually had a horrible experience with our first property manager there. And I followed a, a pretty extensive list of questions I had multiple calls, like multiple one hour long calls with the, with the property manager. He answered all the questions to my satisfaction. You know, what are the, tell me about your licensing, tell me about your philosophy of management, your tenant relationships, how many units you have under management list went on and on and on. And, and, and the gentleman had a answer to all my questions. Um, but we actually went with the first we went with him because even though he was the first property manager we had interviewed, we did not interview a second or a third option because he had answered all the questions to our satisfaction. We figured we were in good hands. Turns out that was very much not the case. Uh, and with this being our first out of state investment and that we had no connections on the ground, nobody to help gut check stuff for us. 
uh, it went very poorly. We closed on our first property in January of 2022, and it was in Iowa. So it was very, very cold, full on snowy winter. And it turns out that, so he did go there for the closing date, but that was the last time he went to the house after that. The gas had been shut off. There was a permitting issue that didn't get sorted out. There was no heat in the house. The house was listed on the market for uh, about eight weeks. He had said, hey, we can get 1600 rent when in fact it really should have been closer to 1300. So it was sitting out there for eight weeks with essentially no leads. We were trusting, 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 didn't ask too many questions, had no idea the heat was off. They had a lockbox on our door and their whole strategy for showing the property was to just give people a code and let them show themselves through our house that had no heat. I'm sure that was a great marketing strategy. <laughs> um, yeah. So when we finally you know, called BS on this and said, look, it's been eight weeks, you have no leads, we have no idea what's going on. That's when we uncovered all this stuff that there was, the water main had frozen. The uh, <laughs> there, Thankfully, there was not a ton of damage, but we ended up firing this, manage, this property manager. Our agent found us another PM who came in and cleaned everything up and essentially had things repaired and had somebody under lease within seven days of hiring her. So it's very clear that we miscalculated, hired the wrong team, bet on the wrong horse, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kicking ourselves, you know, what's done is done. We can't change the past, but that's definitely a lesson. Like we didn't, we didn't interview a second and third property manager and we didn't talk to current investors. Those are two things that in hindsight are so obvious that we should have done. And we didn't, um, but let my lesson <laughs> save someone else from having that experience. Um, you know, so those are two things I, I highly recommend is, is, you know, talk to multiple companies, even if the first one you talk to sounds great and always, always, always talk to investors who have worked with them too. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, anything else I should have asked you that you want to talk about that I forgot to ask you about? This is pretty comprehensive. I, I think we covered a lot of ground and, and yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come on here. So you current, so make sure I understand you currently offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. Is that right? And you're going to do a group coaching or you? Correct. Okay. All right. And, Correct. If he, and we'll put your, we'll put your details and stuff in there. Um, and then anything else that people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to find more about you? I'm all over social media, uh, Twitter's, or excuse me, X is yeah, the primary right. place that I post now. Uh, my handle is just at Aaron Amin, A-A-R-O-N-A-M-E-E-N. Okay. -E -E you can find me there. The website for my newsletter is thehybridrealestateprofessional.com. And my personal website where you can find all the coaching details is just AaronAmin.com. Uh, my email is Aaron at AaronAmin.com. And I would love to hear from you on any or all of those mediums. All right. Well, we'll put all those down. Aaron, thanks for doing this. It's been good to get to know you. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens over the next few years. And, and yeah, I appreciate this very much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, folks, thank you for joining us and being part of our conversation with Aaron. I appreciate him taking the time to come on. I'll make sure we have all the important links from today's show in the show notes listed below, and I hope that you'll have time to check them out. 
Now, I would ask again, if you found any value in our content, we would love your help in spreading the word. And we'd ask that you could do us a favor and share this podcast with someone else. Your support means a lot to us. And together, we believe we can inspire others to achieve greatness. And here's an interesting fact. Still 98% of our listeners have not subscribed. We would be incredibly grateful if you take a moment, hit that button on whatever platform you're using. It's a small action that goes a big way in supporting us. Thanks again for tuning in. And guess what? We have new podcasts coming out three times a week. And we ask that you not just be a passive listener, but let's embrace the work we're meant to do and make each day truly amazing. Thanks so much for listening. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.